From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. A recent study found that life expectancy in the United States is declining and not keeping pace with other wealthy countries. Here to help us understand what is going on is Upstate Medical University's Chair of Public Health and Preventive Medicine, Christopher Morley. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air. Thanks for having me. Why do public health officials look at life expectancy as a measure? Why should we care about that? Well, we should care about that because as an indicator, it shows us uh, a, a rough guide on what's happening um, for uh, within the population. How long you expect to live is, is sort of a good measure for how healthy your population is and what, what you can expect out of life. Now, granted, life expectancy is often adjusted for different, different covariates, um, but in general, um, looking at life expectancy for, for the population as a whole, and then looking at subsets within the population is, a, is an interesting way to, uh, to keep track of uh, disparities that might be arising between different groups as well. Um, and bear in mind that even, even though uh, you can tightly control for these things, uh, variables will always come into play, like uh, high uh, infant mortality rates, for example, will, will often pull down a life expectancy rate. Um, uh, and, and different different blips in different parts of the population will affect the overall rate. So it's important to slice and dice into these numbers a little bit to really see what's going on. And when we do that, we get a picture of our society that sometimes tells us both what we need to pay attention to, what we need to fix, as well as uh, tells us a little bit about who we are and what we value. So this study that I'm talking about was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, and it found that working-age Americans were less likely to live to retirement age than at any time in recent history. Is that alarming to you? Uh, it is, and as a social scientist myself who studied disparities and, and, and the drivers of disparities, it's particularly alarming because uh, it would be one thing if we had a, a vast and obvious plague that was affecting the country, for example, in one obvious way that, that, that knew no bounds. But even using that term, we've always seen disparities, even historically, in, in the plague. Um, um, those who are least fortunate in society generally uh, suffer the worst when something is going uh, wrong with, with what we do to maintain health or maintain longevity. Um, so, for example, uh, people who are more able to isolate themselves from the population um, were, were, were tended to be more easily uh, uh, missed by the plague than the people who are, uh, you know, in, in among the, the you know proportionate into working conditions or living conditions with with lots of other people, um, and that's a broad generalization. People who studied the plague and the history of the plague could, could comment on that, but. But that plays out today. We see differences in who smokes, for example. We see differences in um, who's affected by, by violence, who's affected by uh, metabolic disorders. Um, so, so these are important things to track. So for this study, uh, researchers apparently, they looked at uh, from 1959 to 2017. So it's a big number of years, more mm -hmm. than 50 years. So in 1959, life expectancy was 69.6 years. In 2014, it was 78.9 years. Those were mm -hmm. years when America was prosperous, right? Mm -hmm. So why are we now seeing shorter lifespans? So I, as, speaking from a very high level, there, there's, there's certainly many uh, and complex 
reasons for this going on. And, and, uh, and there, there are certainly intersections between causes. But what I would say is that as a society, we've shifted in a number of ways. We've shifted away from um, the single income paradigm, a household, um, at least among, among uh, white middle class America, to, um, to jobs that are both more sedentary, pay lower wages. Um, we're, we're shifting to, from jobs you have for life to uh, jobs where people job hop. Now we're at a stage we're entering an itinerant labor uh, picture for many people, or or or, or the gig economy, as, as as the term is often employed, and uh, that instability combined with the the increase in in a sedentary lifestyle, and additionally, um, the way we eat while we pay attention to food. The fact of the matter is the amount of attention we pay to things like, uh, you know. Whole, whole ingredients or, or, or avoiding processed foods. The fact of the matter is, if you really look at the big picture, those are responses to the fact that we are surrounded by processed food. And very often, many Americans live in, in food deserts where uh, the best access they have is either to fast food or, or processed food from a, from a, a small shop, not, um, whole, uh, not whole food, for example, raw vegetables that you cook from scratch. And... Uh, additionally, people who are working multiple jobs or have multiple uh, complicated lives don't have time to sit around and cook complicated recipes or prepare things. Often, uh, part of the economic picture isn't just the, the monetary cost, but it's the time and effort cost and the, um, in preparation. Um, so when you combine these factors together, right there you're laying a, a lifestyle change. Additionally, when societies shift economically and we, we see demographic shifts we see people who uh, a generation ago would have assumed they could have had a lifelong union job for example now uh, working uh, in less stable conditions and you, what you see when you combine all of these things together is the rise in diseases of despair as, as um, this paper cites in a Brookings study uh, described uh, a number of years ago um, diseases of despair include what you might think of as obvious, self-harm or suicide. But diseases of despair also speak to the rise in societal violence, the rise in gun violence, where people uh, turn to violence because uh, nonviolent means of existing are, are closed off. You have people who uh, turn to um, alcohol or, more pressingly, and as we see in society now, to uh, to things like opiates or, or, or other drugs, and the opiate problem is huge. Um, you see people become more sedentary, eating more poorly, having these other factors uh, work in to their lives. Um, you end up with things like increases in diabetes or metabolic disorders, things that affect the system, and they represent um, the, the cumulative effect of, of a host of factors. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking about life expectancy with Christopher Morley, the chair of public health and preventive medicine at Upstate. So this paper talked about and used the term that you just did, um, uh, deaths or diseases of despair, the highest, uh, the top causes of death for people from 25 to 64 were listed as uh, illegal drug overdose, uh, alcoholism, suicide, all of those things. The paper also talked about something called environmental determinants of health. Mm -hmm. What is that? Well, 
we have an example of that right here in Syracuse, actually. So you had, you had cited a, a life expectancy, which across the country is somewhere, depending on which population you're looking at, which geographic region, for the broad population is usually around 78 to 79 years of age. And when you look within Syracuse, just within the city of Syracuse itself, uh, the, the most recent publicly available uh, Onondaga County uh, Community Health Assessment has some figures on this. Um, so if you look between zip codes, so just place, let's start with the most basic description of the environment, where are you? Um, the 13224 zip code, which is the uh, which covers the area that's right that, that's, that butts right up against the the well-off um, neighborhoods and suburbs of, of DeWitt and, and, and Fayetteville Manlius. Um, that area where, which is populated by a lot of professionals, a lot of professors live in that area. Um, the life expectancy is actually 79.8 years of age. Hmm. So actually a little bit higher than, than state means, a little bit higher than, than, than the national mean. If you go about oh, five miles down the road to what we call uh, the, the, the end, sort of the entranceway, the entrance zip code to the valley where there's a lot of public housing, um, the population is decidedly, um, uh, decidedly different. There, there are many, many more people from minority uh, groups. Um, the, uh, there, are, there are fewer, fewer less, less access to grocery stores. There's more, we, we've measured there's more violence in, that, in, in, in those areas. So in 13205, the life expectancy is 72.6 years. Wow, that's significant. It's a, it's a massive difference five miles apart. Now, what do we see when we look at those, at those different uh, zip codes? Well, environmentally, you see houses that where, where people have done lead abatement versus people living in apartments or, or, or places where, the, where, the, where the, the city or the county can't keep up with inspections. Um, and the, the, uh, the, there's, there's lead or there's, there's other environmental toxins to say nothing of the differences in rates of violence in both areas, the rates of, of, uh, of violent crime, um, levels of employment, levels of uninsurance, access to care. These vary remarkably between the populations that live five miles apart in, in, in zip codes that are, 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 are very close to each other. And it plays out. All of these things add up to uh, cumulatively to to this this um, a shorter a sizable lifespan. to wow. a shorter expect life expectancy. Yeah, we you mentioned environmental and geographic factors. How much of a nation's life expectancy is tied to its healthcare delivery? So, while that's an area I work on, and I do think it's important, uh, not much. Uh, so historically, public health. Uh, triumphs started at the last century with doing things like um, cleaning up the water supply. And uh, when, when, you, when you don't have babies dying from diarrheal disease because the, because the water they're drinking or the, that, they're, that they're bathed in is cleaner, um, it has a tremendous impact on life expectancy. Um, the, the creation of vaccines on a population level. So at that point, you've got the healthcare system working, but, but doing a very specific and, and preventive, and targeted, right. targeted uh, intervention. That's, that's had a tremendous uh, in, impact on, on how we think about infectious diseases, along with the development of effective um, antimicrobial drugs, um, have tremendous impacts on, on, um, on life expectancy. And that sees the entrance of, of the healthcare system. 
really what the best things we can do to, pr to improve life expectancy is get people doing these quick interventions that, that take care of themselves preventively. We often focus on healthcare access as though what people need are access to high-tech cures when really the prevention of getting sick in the first place or the prevention of, of injury or, or other uh, things that are, are incompatible with life, let's say, is, uh, is, is really um, an outpatient primary care focus or even a population level focus where we, we do things that aren't even necessarily healthcare, like make sure that lead is removed or do population level uh, tobacco control or, or, or screening or vaccine dissemination, things that are either not healthcare at all or quick, um, quick interventions that are preventive in nature. Do we need to target these um, diseases of despair? It, or, or are there things that we can do to intervene to improve the outcome for people that are dealing with those issues? So I, I think there are multiple levels of, of resp with responsibility and intervention. Um, as a society, we do need to address um, the fact that, that we're shifting and that, that as, as our workforce and our, our, our expectations from life change, people will have different expectations about not just the, the provision of their health care, where they're, where they're getting health care or who's paying for it, but what they're going to be doing for a living, what they're, uh, whether, whether they're going to be working into retirement or whether they're not going to have a retirement um, or whether they're going to be laid off early, whether they're going to be uh, doing physical versus sedentary labor. These are all things that we have to address along with demographic shifts in who we are and who makes us up. We need to recognize that when those shifts happen, often there are, there are, there are shifts in, in life expectancy as well. Um, and the things that cause those problems are often linked to a reaction behaviorally. We need to get a handle on, on the, the, the opiate crisis, which is a crisis. And you mentioned something about illegal drugs. Often the things that people are doing aren't illegal. So prescriptions or formerly people who, who, who have found their way to opiate addiction or abuse through a, a prescription pathway um, needs to be needs to be addressed. Now that doesn't mean people don't rely presently on opiates in some cases, and and having a knee jerk reaction to restricting pain access can can have other uh, downstream impacts. So for example, if you if you regulate pretty uh, pretty manageable things like hydrocodone, and start making it difficult for people, the people who are most or at least well off, most in danger of of, of experiencing a healthcare disparity, are going to just to relieve their own pain, potentially turn to other pathways to, to relieve that pain, which are not healthy. So we need to have very careful responses. In the case of opiates, that's one direction. And another example is that we actually had, we're beating back tobacco and uh, tobacco usage and smoking. The populations that were most uh, uh, addicted and the highest users of tobacco were still um, lower income, lower lower socioeconomic status, lower uh, lower education segments of the population, and, and frankly, people who who were self medicating things like like anxiety, depression, ADHD with nicotine um, through cigarette usage, we, we had beaten that back, and we'd reached that sort of hardcore bottom where we had to come up with new interventions for them. But we were, we were winning. Vaping and electronic cigarette usage has. Uh, in some ways, people were, were wondering if this would be a harm reduction strategy, but as it turns out, it's either a gateway 
that people end up using, switching between products or they um, they they try to quit using vaping and they, they don't, they end up using both products. And then vaping itself is turning out to have all sorts of health consequences. So we've actually reversed course in some of these things. And the third thing you had mentioned is alcohol use. Alcohol is legal. Right. So we have things that aren't illegal that are, that are doing things that we can we can think a lot harder about. On an individual level, we need to think about the safety of our neighborhoods, um, where the rich versus the poor live. Um, we need to think about walkable neighborhoods, safe neighborhoods, neighborhoods that are free from gun violence. Guns are also legal and accessible in most parts of the country. Um, we need to think about um, economic uh, revitalization for people who are displaced by economic trends and shifts. Um, and on the individual level, people can watch out for how they're being affected. They can understand that if they now have a sedentary job or they are, they are, uh, they don't have access to food, that this takes individual effort. Now that's really hard for people to do, especially if you've, if you're dealing with other life challenges. So I'm always hesitant to put the onus on the individual when, when society is shifting around them. But there are things we can do and be cognizant about making sure we're, we're, we're moving, making sure we're, we're eating uh, foods that are a little closer to the source and a little bit healthier and avoiding processed foods. We're trying to quit smoking. We don't abuse alcohol. We, we, we're careful with our pain meds and so forth. People can take a little bit of individual responsibility on that regard. So it's not all hopeless. But we do need as a society to think about this because this is bigger than in the individual. Well, thank you so much. My guest has been Christopher Morley. He's chair of public health and preventive medicine at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.